In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Lord God, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we contemplate uh, the Annunciation, I pray that the movements of our own hearts would be like that of Mary's, where she moves from disquiet and questioning to um, an unreserved yes to you to bear the word of God into the world. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Welcome to St. Bart's. My name is Chris Myers. I'm one of the priests here. And it is the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve. So we had, I've been talking with some people, it's like the shortest possible Advent that we can have where it's all crammed in together. So you get the double header today. Um, and we don't want to skip over this fourth Sunday of Advent because this moment when Gabriel comes to Mary and when she moves uh, to say yes, we can't skip over that moment because her yes is so important. It is the yes that bears the word of God into the world, the word becoming flesh in the world. And I'm brought by this moment personally, and I think we all are to beyond the threshold of our understanding. <laughs> this, is, this is just a holy moment where the word of God takes up residence in the womb of Mary. We are taken beyond the threshold of understanding, and often, um, if we are honest, we are like Mary. We're trying to discern the meaning of this greeting. That's her first reaction. What is the meaning of this greeting? The angel comes and says to her, blessed are you. Generations will call you blessed. How can we understand what that is? And for me, that makes me want to immerse myself in the paintings and poems and songs of the church to help me experience that place beyond the threshold of my understanding. So I've spent a lot of time this week listening to different recordings of Ave Maria and lots of Bach and Magnificats and Arvo Pert and um, some wonderful music. Um, there's a great song by Sting that we wanted to do today but didn't happen about the angel Gabriel. You should look it up. He sings it in Durham Cathedral. It's fantastic. The angel Gabriel coming to, to Mary. And what I want to do today is actually look at some art together uh, to help us kind of occupy that space uh, beyond the threshold of our understanding. But the place we have to begin is where Old Testament reading begins, and that's with covenant. 
Covenant is God's humble determination to bring about the redemption of his creation through his creation. So let me say that again. God's humble determination to bring about the redemption of his creation through his creation, by means of his creation. And I use that word humble purposely. God is humble. To enter into relationship with us requires a divine humility. And covenant is a means by which God binds himself to his people. And in our Old Testament passage today, he promises David something extraordinary, that one of his descendants will rule on the throne forever. David cannot possibly understand what that would mean or what it would look like or the twists and turns it would take from that moment onward to Mary and to her yes, to that covenant. But he understands that God is a God of covenant. Covenant is God's yes to his people and his yes to all people through his covenant people, the people of Israel. And the angel, when he comes to Mary, speaks in terms of this very covenant. What does Gabriel say? The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Covenant is the first means by which we understand or try to understand or grapple with this reality that God creates a world by his word and that he binds himself to a people in this world by means of covenant. And then in this moment of annunciation, he reveals what he intended all along was to become a part of his creation, to become flesh and dwell among us. And all of this, there is a sense in which it requires a yes on the human side. In this case, the yes of a Galilean peasant girl who was waiting as all her kin were waiting for God to fulfill this specific promise, that there would be a king that would rule on the throne of David forever. When Mary says at the end of our passage, let it be the Latin fiat, her fiat is her humble submission first to God's humility to come to us and to dwell with us. God is one who condescends to speak to us, who creates us, loves us, and takes on flesh and dwells among us. But what does it take for Mary to get to her yes? There is a movement within the passage that represents Mary's movement towards that yes, towards that let it be to me according to your word. Older commentators um, identify five movements within this passage. Five things that happen to Mary as she moves towards that yes. The first is disquiet. (laughs) What is the meaning of this? She ponders. So that's the second reflection. The third is inquiry. How can this be? And then submission and merit. And the passage reflects all of these five things. And when you look at the many, 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 many paintings (laughs) of the Annunciation, each of those paintings actually concentrate on a different part of those movements those moments, or a combination of them. So I want to look at some. Here's the first painting I want to look at. Ah, we've looked at this before. I love it so much. Um, This is the Annunciation painting by Henry Asawa Tanner. 
And in it, we see Mary's disquiet and her reflection. What, what do I mean by disquiet? What Luke tells us, she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. We have to remember that Luke is the gospel writer who was way into eyewitness, test, eyewitness testimony, and in all likelihood, he spoke to Mary about this moment, which is why Luke's gospel is the gospel that records this moment. So he's recording what she felt. She was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel is aflame and the girl is afraid. (laughs) There is an honesty here that is true to the text. She was disquieted, she was greatly troubled as our reading has it. And those words, I believe, capture her humanity so well. She is, after all, a teenager in the backwater of the Roman Empire. We can't forget that. It's important that we have these iconic paintings of Mary, and we're going to look at one together. But we can't lose her humanity, that she was a teenager in the backwater of the Roman Empire. And what else would she make, first of all, of an angel standing before her? She experienced disquiet and reflection. But that disquiet and reflection moves to inquiry, a question, how can this be? How can this be? This is too incredible to think. I love the texture of this painting, the humanity of it. It captures that, uh, the feel of maybe of what it would like to be in that, that room. That disquiet, that reflection. But here's the second painting. Botticelli. All-timer. He's pretty good at painting. This painting captures the moment between the inquiry and the submission. The inquiry is how can this be, and it's before she actually says yes. If I can use a pun, this is a pregnant moment. We don't know what's going to happen. The hands are reaching towards each other. The yes has not yet been said. There's an architectural divide between the heavenly space and the earthly space. And yet, the angel bows to her because he has already declared that generations will call her blessed. The joke that the church historian Pelican makes, or Arslav Pelican makes, is that some generations will call her blessed because I think we Protestants have sometimes forgotten to call her blessed because <laughs> that's what the text says. We should call her blessed. Why? Because of what she bears into the world. And I want you to look at that division, that architectural division between the heavenly space and the earthly space. The hands reaching towards each other, the moment before the moment she says yes. Because that captures again her humanity, that she had to move towards that yes. In this painting we see her humility, we see some level of resolution, she's resolved. And what she will do is receive the word. And then when she receives that word, she receives her mission, and she accepts all of the consequences of that yes. A mother who will have a child who is born to die in a very particular way. As she will hear on the eighth day of after he's born, 
a sword will pierce her heart. And she will ponder things in her heart that are heavy things for any mother to ponder, especially Mary, of what it would mean for this son to sit on the throne of David. Not in the way that you would expect. Not as a conquering king, but as a humble servant whose throne was actually a cross. So the sword pierces her heart. So in that, the strength of her, yes, blossoms later in our passage into the strength of her song, which we call the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. And when she says yes, the incarnation begins. The word begins to become flesh, begins as two cells that then divide and multiply within her womb, blossoming into the life of the Son of God. The word become flesh. And this is what the Annunciation teaches us, that the flesh that he became was Mary's flesh. This is how one scholar puts it. Mary doesn't simply present what comes from the Father. She offers what she authors, which is the flesh. She offers what she authors, which is the flesh. This is an unrepeatable act. And yet, it is iconic because in this moment when she says yes, she enacts for us what all of Christian discipleship is. When the Lord speaks, we must receive the word, sing it back to God, as she does in the Magnificat, bear the word of God into the world. And I love these paintings because it helps us remember that she is admirable, that she is blessed by all generations, because she is a moment, in this moment, a picture of discipleship. She's a picture of the church itself, which receives the word of God. But she's also a human who had to make a decision. Will I accept this word? Will I accept the consequences of this word and bear it into the world? And her yes is so important. But there's a prior yes that it all rests on. And that's God's yes towards us. Paul says that Christ is God's yes and amen. He's our yet, the yes and amen to his creation, that what he made was good and that he's determined to eradicate all that twists it and perverts it and makes it bad. And that is what redemption is. Not God scrapping the world and starting over, but God redeeming the world by entering into it himself. God's yes towards us, his fiat, his let it be. The son saying in the mystery of the Trinity, let it be to me that I will become flesh. Let it be that as this world is made, I will enter into it and take on flesh and dwell among them. God's yes to us and to all he has made, his determination to redeem his creation through his creation, that is God's humility divine humility. We sang about it earlier. Humbly you came to the world you created. All for love's sake became poor. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians, that Jesus empties himself to take on the form of a slave to dwell among us. I want to end with not a painting, but a picture that I came across this week. 
This one gets me. This is a church in Bethlehem. Not Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but Bethlehem right now, which is on the edge of a war zone. And this is a Lutheran church in Bethlehem where a Christian pastor who's Palestinian ministers, and this is what he said. Uh, Christmas will be different this year, is what he said. <laughs> We've been glued to our screens, seeing children pulled from under the rubble day after day. We are broken by these images. And this is what he said. God is under the rubble in Gaza. This is where we find God right now. And they made a crash, a nativity, out of rubble. And I don't know if you can see it, but in the middle of that crash, in the middle of rubble, is Jesus, the baby Jesus laying in the midst of the rubble. That's the unthinkable thought, is that God would enter into that. And yet, it's true. He did, and he does. That's his humility, that he bears our flesh, that he dwells among us, that he suffers among us, and that he would identify himself with the lowliest of the low in the darkest places in the world. The darkest places that we can even think of right now as history unfolds before our eyes. God is under the rubble. This is where we find God right now. Divine humility. God in Christ crosses the threshold of the heavenly into the realm of the earthly in order that he might become a ladder. This is what Jesus calls himself. I'm the Jacob's ladder on which angels ascend and descend, meaning that the space between the heavenly and the earthly is not separated, but joined. And that that means there's a means of access to the heavenly because the word became flesh. Because Mary said yes. Mary said yes. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. That, throughout the scripture, is the only response that we can give to God. It's what Samuel says when the voice comes to him in the night. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It's what Mary says when the word of God comes to her from Gabriel. Let it be to me according to your word. It's the only answer that we can give. It's the only thing that we have to offer God is our yes. I want to receive what you have. I, like Mary, will receive what you have despite the consequences, the difficulty of following you in this world, <laughs> the difficulty of seeing images like this and realizing that the world is broken and yet the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And the flesh that he became was Mary's flesh because she said yes. Let us pray. Lord, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we find ourselves even in time on that threshold between Advent and Christmas. Just even today, we feel that space, that moment, and we thank you for Mary's yes. We call her blessed, as the angel called her blessed. We thank you for her yes on our behalf, and we thank you, Lord, more than that, for your yes towards us, for your yes and amen in your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that we could find him 
in this season of darkness and that he would shine with radiance and that we would know that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.